the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Cursing Jesus to his face. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Love your enemies. Bless them. Do good to them. I mean, you know, I can can think of, of no greater example of love than telling those people who hate you, your enemies, who are cursing you to your face, to tell them how to escape the judgment that is to come, right? It's easy in this life to succumb to an us-versus-them mentality. Many Christians feel as though a good portion of our society is against them. They attack your beliefs and call you foolish. It hurts your pride, and you may want to fight back. The thing is, those people aren't our enemies. They're under the influence of our enemy, Satan, but they're objects of God's affection. As Pastor Dan will challenge us in today's message, we are called to love those people and share the love and truth of Christ with them. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 8 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. he humbled himself and died the death of crucifixion, that God the Father will exalt his name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. So the Father will glorify the Son, but the Son himself, Jesus, didn't come seeking glory. The religious leaders dishonor Jesus. God the Father will glorify Jesus And in verse 50, Jesus says, God will glorify me, and this is the important part, he's the judge. He's the judge. You dishonor me, God will glorify me, and God is the judge. God is the judge. Again, he's just telling them the truth here. He's the judge. He will judge you for honoring or dishonoring the son. There's a judgment. And he's going to judge them for what, how they responded to Jesus Christ, whether they honored Jesus Christ or dishonored Jesus Christ. And Jesus is just telling them the truth. This is just the truth. This is just the truth. God's the judge. And he's going to judge you for dishonoring me. That's just the truth. Now watch verse 51. This, oh, this is so amazing. Watch what he does in verse 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. 
You see what Jesus does here now in verse 51. It's, it's remarkable, just remarkable grace that he gives here. He, he tells them, he tells them, you dishonor me. God will honor me. God will glorify me. And God is your judge. And God will judge you for dishonoring me. That's the truth. And then in verse 51, you know what he does? He tells them the way to escape God's judgment. Isn't that amazing? He tells them how to escape the judgment that is to come. So he lays out the truth to them. Hey, you're in danger of the judgment because you've dishonored me. But now let me tell you how to escape the judgment. And he does this with who? He's doing this with the people who are saying, well, at least we weren't born of fornication. I mean, your mom is immoral. You're conceived in fornication. These are the people that are calling you Samaritan, you demon-possessed. They're, they're hurling insults at him, racial slurs. They're angry. They're plotting to kill him. Now, how would you respond to somebody who is angry and shouting insults at you and calling you names, Right? And you know that they're under the judgment of God. I mean, how compelled would you feel to tell them a way to escape that judgment, right? I mean, isn't there a part of you that would kind of stand there and say, well, you're going to get yours. You just watch, right? But not Jesus, not Jesus. As they're, and this is the same conversation. As they're shouting insults at him and angry with him and their emotions are flaring against him, he tells them the truth. Hey, you're, you're in danger of the judgment that is to come. But let me tell you how you can escape that judgment. And look at verse 51. Again, he begins verse 51. I love this by saying most assuredly. We've talked about that phrase before. Might say truly, truly in your Bible or verily, verily. If you have the old King James, uh, we've seen that phrase. John, or Jesus uses this phrase 25 times in the gospel of John. And here, here's what it means. Here's what it means. It means listen to what I'm about to tell you. Very carefully. Listen to what I'm about to tell you very carefully. You're in danger of the judgment that is to come, but listen to what I'm about to tell you very carefully because I'm going to tell you how to escape it. You see the grace here? You see the love that Jesus has for these people that are, hate him and are just spewing hate at him? Listen very carefully, and I'll tell you how to escape the judgment that is to come. These are people that want to kill him, that are verbally attacking him. They're insulting him and insulting his mother, insulting his mother's reputation, calling him racial slurs. He says it to them. He says it to that crowd. Let me tell you how you can escape. Listen very carefully. And he offers salvation to them. He gives them this invitation now. Now, what did Jesus say? If you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? How you're to treat your enemies, how you're supposed to, what are you supposed to do with your enemies? Are you supposed to punch them in the nose, right? You're supposed to knock them out. When they're talking to you like this. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus in in Matthew chapter 5 verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. They're cursing Jesus to his face. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. And persecute you. Love your enemies. Bless them. Do good to them. I mean, you know, I can can think of, of no greater example of love than telling those people who hate you, your enemies, who are cursing you to your face, to tell them how to escape the judgment that is to come. Right? And notice in verse 51 again, notice that Jesus used the word anyone. Anyone. That's a very broad invitation 
that he is extending here. Anyone, doesn't matter who you are, anyone who keeps my word shall never. You see that word? I love those two words. Anyone and never. (laughs) Anyone who keeps my word shall never see death. What a promise. What a promise. Now, what kind of death is he talking about here? He's not talking about physical death because Jesus himself will experience physical death on the cross. So he's not talking about physical death. People physically die every day. Jesus is talking about what the Bible calls the second death in Revelation chapters 20 and 21. The second death is eternal separation from God. It's eternal separation and it's eternal punishment. Uh, It is the lake of fire in Revelation. In Revelation it talks about, and death was cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. The lake of fire where the fire is never quenched, where the worm never dies. It's probably the picture you have of hell when you think of hell. That's the lake of fire. You know, the, the continual punishment and torment and burning and separation from God. That's what he's talking about here. The person, he says, anyone who keeps my word, he shall never taste death. He'll never experience that second death. For the believer in Jesus Christ, the person who's put their trust in him, when that believer dies, they immediately go into the presence of Jesus Christ. Instantly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, When we are absent from our body, we are at home with the Lord. I love that. We're at home with him. Finally home. This world's not our home. This body that you're in is not your permanent home. It's described as a tent. It's temporary. But when a believer dies, when they breathe their last breath, they're immediately in the presence of Jesus Christ, in their home. John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's your home. Where Jesus is, that's home. For the believer in Jesus Christ. Not this world. You know in John chapter 11. Jesus said in John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me though he may die. He shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me. Shall never die. And then he asked the all important question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Whoever lives and believes in me. Shall never die. Yes they'll experience physical death. The body will give out. But then we immediately go into the presence of Jesus Christ. We immediately go into eternal life. And here in John chapter 8, Jesus offers this crowd that is, you know, angry at him and hating him and shouting insults at him. He offers them eternal life. He gives this invitation to anyone who receives it. And he tells them the truth. And he says to them, you're going to be judged by God. But if you believe in me and you keep my word, you will escape the judgment and you will have eternal life. If you don't, you will be judged. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. You'll experience eternal separation from God and eternal torment. Once again, he's just simply giving them the truth. This is the truth. This is what happens. This is the choice. That he lays out for them. Believe in Jesus Christ. 
Escape judgment, receive eternal life. Don't believe, experience the judgment of God and the lake of fire and the second death. It's, it's just, he just lays it out plain for them. First John chapter 5, uh, verses 11 and 12, he says, uh, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's real plain, real straightforward. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And so now he lays this truth out for this crowd, and now the crowd has a choice. They have a choice to make. The truth has been presented. What do we do with the truth? Pastor Dan will have more to share from today's Ring of Truth study in just a moment. But right now, we'd like to invite you to worship with us this Sunday morning. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you a little more. I heard recently that many people who listen to Christian radio are not part of a local church. Hey, if that's you, I'd like for you to join us this weekend as our guest at Calvary Chapel located in Columbia, Maryland. The teachings you've enjoyed here on Ring of Truth are from messages I've shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Look how the crowd responded to the truth in verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? The crowd says, Now we know you have a demon. Now we know you're crazy. You're crazy. You're insane. And why do they say that? Because he's claiming here to have the power over judgment and the power over death, and only God has the power over death. That's why they say to him, who do you make yourself out to be? Are you claiming to be God? Because it sure sounds like you're claiming to be God, you nutcase. How do you respond to the truth of Jesus Christ? What do you do with it? Well, they think Jesus is crazy, demon-possessed. So Jesus says in verse 54, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Now look at verse 56. Your father Abraham, remember they thought they were children of Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Huh. They already think he's crazy. And he don't care, you know. <laughs> and so he just says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and, and he was glad. Why don't you join your father Abraham? And you say that you're sons of Abraham, you're children of Abraham. Why don't, why don't you share in the joy that Abraham enjoyed? Now, how did Abraham see Jesus' day? How did Abraham see Jesus' life and ministry. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ. So how did he see it? Well, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says that Abraham could see the things promised afar off. That God gave Abraham some kind of perception to see the ministry of Jesus Christ from afar, from his day, that he could, he could look ahead prophetically, and see the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly how, because it doesn't tell us, but uh, perhaps Abraham could see 
the miraculous birth of the Messiah and the miraculous birth of his own son, Isaac. Because you remember from last week, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. Their bodies were dead, unable to have a baby, make a baby. And God gave them a son, miraculously, Isaac. They named him Isaac, which means laughter. Why? Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed when God said, you're going to have a baby, because they knew how impossible it was. So maybe in the miraculous birth of his own son, Isaac, the Lord allowed him to see down to when the Messiah would be born to a virgin. The miraculous birth of the Messiah. Maybe Abraham saw the priesthood of Jesus Christ when he encountered the priest Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, who was the priest of Salem or Jerusalem. Remember, Abraham tithed to him. Why would he tithe to a priest? And Melchizedek, the priest, he brought wine and bread to Abraham, and they shared wine and bread together, communion together. Tells us in uh, the Psalm, Psalm 110, that Melchizedek had no beginning and he had no end. He's eternal. And it says in Hebrews that Jesus was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, in the line of Melchizedek. Maybe Abraham, when he encountered Melchizedek, maybe he could see Jesus Christ, the priesthood of Christ in that. Maybe when uh, Abraham took his son Isaac, who was about 30 years old at the time, and took him up Mount Moriah to offer him to God as a sacrifice, maybe in that God allowed Abraham to see the sacrifice that his son, Jesus Christ, would make on the same mountain on Calvary for the sins of the world. Maybe somehow Abraham could see that. Remember, as they go up the mountain, Isaac, his adult son, says to his father, Father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Remember what Abraham said? God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself as the lamb for sacrifice. That, by the way, in the Old Testament, that's the first time you see the word lamb mentioned. When Abraham is talking about God providing himself as a lamb for sacrifice. In the New Testament, the first time you see the word lamb is when John the Baptist points at Jesus and says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, where's the sacrifice? God will provide himself a lamb. Behold the lamb of God. And maybe Abraham was able to see this somehow. Uh, When Abraham sent his servant to go find a bride for his son, Isaac. Maybe Abraham could see in that how God would send the Holy Spirit into the world to find a bride, the church, for his son, Jesus Christ. Abraham could see it. Jesus says Abraham could see it. He could see his day. And he rejoiced. He was glad. So verse 57, Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? How do you know what made Abraham glad? How do you know what Abraham rejoiced about? You've never met him. You're not even 50 years old. Then Jesus said to them, verse 58, most assuredly, again, there's that word. Listen to me. What I'm about to say to you is very important. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, yeah, again, we've talked about that in recent weeks. I am is the Old Testament covenant name for God in Exodus chapter 3. You know, God is eternal. He's the eternal one. And because he's eternal, 
He's not, I was, or I will be. He is, I am. He always is. He's the great I am. And, and Jesus now uses that same name and applies it to himself, and he says that he is, I am. Jesus is clearly claiming to be God here in verse 58. You know, Jesus is not just a man. He's not a prophet. He is God. He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the I am of the Old Testament. That's why he can talk about Abraham as if he met Abraham, because he did. That's why he can talk about uh, having power over sin and power over death and life and power over judgment, the power to forgive, because he's God. He's not just a man, he's God. And he's clearly, clearly claiming that in verse 58. So much so, the crowd understood exactly what he was saying here. In verse 59, they pick up stones to throw at him, to kill him for blasphemy. But it says Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. And so he passed by. Jesus has presented the truth to this crowd all along. And he's told them, I've just told you the truth. I've just told you the truth. I've just told you the truth. He's presented the truth to them. He's told them that they are in danger of God's judgment for judging him or for dishonoring him. And he told them the way to escape that judgment is by, is by putting their faith and trust in him and believing in him. And he's given them this invitation to believe in him and be saved from the judgment that is to come and to receive eternal life. And he gave them this choice now. He's just laid it out. He's he's declared that he is God. He's the I am. It's just the truth. Here's just the truth for you. And they have a choice what they do with with the truth. And they choose to pick up stones and kill him. And so what does Jesus do? He walks away. What else can he do? He's told them the truth. He's told them everything. And they don't receive it. You know, you got no one to hold him. You got no one to fold him. You got no one to walk away. He's laid it all out. He's laid out the truth. They've rejected the truth. And so he just walks away. Because there's nothing more to say. And to me, this is the scariest part of the passage. Jesus will present the truth. And he presents it clearly and just lays it out. And if a person rejects it, he leaves. Do you remember, remember when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and he goes to the other side with the disciples? They come through the storm, they go to the other side, they come to the other side, and encounter, they encounter a demon-possessed man in Gadara. Remember that? And Jesus casts the demons out. He's got a legion of demons in him. Jesus casts the demons out into a herd of swine. Swine run down the hill into the Sea of Galilee and drown, right? And... Um, and then the, the, the swine shepherds, or whatever you'd call them, I don't know what you call them, uh, they go back to town, they go back to the city, they tell the people in the city what's happened. The people in the city, they come out. Remember what they said to Jesus? Leave. You're messing with our pigs. We want our pigs more than we want you. Leave. And, and here's the scariest part of that whole passage. You know what Jesus did? He got in the boat and he left. He didn't plead with them. No, no, you don't understand. I'm Jesus. I'm the Savior. No. I just got in the boat and left. And here, he's laid out the truth for them. He's laid it all out. There was nothing more for Jesus to do or say 
at this point, the only thing for Jesus to do, walk away. And that's what he did. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan as he continued his verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of 1 John. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you never miss an edition of this program. Every time we post something new, you'll be notified. We'd love to hear from you, too, and learn how Ring of Truth has impacted your life. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you, too. And if God's doing something wonderful, we'd love to rejoice with you. That number again to reach us is 410-491-4592. Do you live in the Baltimore, Washington area? If so, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m., for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. Find out more at our website. One more time, that's calvaryec.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Tune in next time to learn more from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dan, right here on Ring of Truth.